Welcome to IBBA Insights, providing expert advice on buying or selling small businesses. IBBA Insights is presented by the International Business Brokers Association, the world's largest nonprofit organization for those helping others sell or buy businesses. Now, here's your host, Chris Diglio. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of IBBA Insights. I'm your host, Chris Diglio, and we have a very exciting, very informative, and hopefully very fast-paced uh, in. Uh, show for you today on a topic that I know is a buzz in the business world and, and beyond. It's something that everybody's talking about, but nobody truly understands. And so how do we understand it? Well, we talk to an expert. So today on our show, we have Tor Constantino. He's a former journalist, consultant, current corporate executive and business writer. Since 2017, he's written about cryptocurrencies, blockchain, DeFi, NFTs, and crypto's potential to revolutionize finance. His writings have appeared in outlets including Entrepreneur, Inc., Daily Coin, Success, Forbes, Fortune, CEO World, and Yahoo Finance. So I am extremely happy and very excited to introduce to you Tor Constantino. Tor, welcome to IBBA Insights. Hi, Chris. Thanks uh, for having me. Delighted to be here. You know, I first learned about you when I was doing research on cryptocurrency. I read an article that you had that it was one-third of it was titled One Third of U.S. Small Businesses Accept Cryptocurrencies as Payment. Here's why the trend keeps growing and don't let your competitors beat you to the crypto purchasing punch. And I was so intrigued by that that I said, you know what, I, I have to have you on the show. And I, and I reached out to you again <laughs> and you were gracious enough to respond. So thank you so much. It's my pleasure. And again, I, I think that it's really important to kind of talk about this because you said that it is it is out there a lot. We hear a lot about cryptocurrencies, blockchain, and all of these other types of buzz phrases, but there is not a lot of understanding. And so hopefully that's what I'm trying to do is to just try and elevate the discussion and do the best I can to take these complex topics and break them down in simple terms that all of us can understand because it's coming. It's not going away. And education, to your point, is the key to adoption and making sure that we're ahead of the curve and that we can meet it as it comes. Well, to start with that, so what I want to do is I want to start with the basics and build a foundation, or you might as well be on here speaking Greek to the listeners. So I'm going to throw some buzzwords at you, and if you could give a brief definition so we can build a foundation for this talk, and then we'll get deep into cryptocurrency and, 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 and business and, and, and all the great stuff we're going to talk about. So I'm just going to throw some words at you. I'm going to start with blockchain. Sure. So as, as I understand blockchain, I think the simplest way to explain it is it's a dispersed, distributed, immutable ledger. And what that basically means is that it's there's software that's on a widespread network that people agree to have on their different systems. And as a result of that, these, they call them nodes, each of those computers is a node. And then what happens is because they all have this common software, they all have the same ledger, like businesses understand accounting. And so if you have your books at one location, those are susceptible to being um, manipulated or stolen or damaged. But what's happened with the blockchain is they're all at the same time distributed across this wide network. And in the case of, let's say, Bitcoin, there's thousands of these nodes that are out there. So any change to those books occurs at all of them at the same time. And so that they're able to say, oh, wait, this is a change. 
And I, and then they have to have this, um, they have to, there's a, a special type of encryption that they have to go through to decide, is this a legitimate change or is this a, a, a faulty, fault, uh, flagrant change? And because each of the transactions have a code from the past transaction within the chain, they're linked together, very difficult to manipulate or change, which makes them immutable. So you can't change it. Whereas if, again, with a hard copy book or even an Excel sheet, you can just go and change the numbers. You can't do that in blockchain because everybody's watching. And when they go through and they say yay or nay on a particular transaction, that's another link in that blockchain that's connected to every preceding link. And it becomes that much tougher to commit fraud or to change it. And because it's dispersed, it, there's a reliability uh, to that particular calculation. So that's the basics of, of what a blockchain is. It's again, software. And we know okay. the value of software uh, is we can look at Google or Microsoft or any of these other companies. So there's a lot of value in that. So in simple terms, the blockchain is the software component behind of everything we're gonna be talking about. Correct, the base foundation. Okay, great. NFTs. Uh, those are non-fungible tokens. That's what that stands for. And so at the end of the day, what happens is, is that it's just a unique digital asset. And it can represent something physical or it can be something that is intangible and virtual. So we're seeing a lot now of these crazy JPEGs, just images that are selling for millions of dollars in some instances. That's, that's part of it. But what they have an application for in the future, they could be used as coupons, they could be used as royalty reward cards, they could be used as contracts, could, could be tucked in under a, an NFT type of format. And again, it's the, what makes an NFT different from anything that we've talked about is each NFT is unique. It can't be replaced with something else. Like a dollar bill, you can switch one dollar bill with another dollar bill. An NFT... Not every NFT is equal, so it's non-fungible. You can't replace it with something else. Okay, two more, DeFi. DeFi stands for Decentralized Finance. And this is, in my opinion, the most exciting aspect of cryptocurrency and blockchain for small businesses. If you're in a small business, and let's say you want to apply for a loan, you have to go through a lender, you have to go through a credit check, you have to go through the, other, uh, the application process, and oftentimes you have to have a certain amount of uh, you, you have to have a certain amount of assets on deposit in that bank, and you're going through all of these hoops. There's time, there's fees, and there's delay. What DeFi tries to do is remove all of that cost, delay, and the intermediaries by just going online. You fill out a brief application, and the pre-programmed algorithm makes the decision regarding your credit worthiness instantly based on what you plug in based, based on your, let's say your, your accounts payable and your receivables. You don't have to go through a credit check and it's instant and the money gets moved into your deposit. I think that that flexibility and those time savings are significant for small business owners who are looking for velocity of, of cash quickly when they need it. And that's the other thing too. DeFi is open 24-7. You don't have to wait for the bank to come online if you need cash over a weekend. You can get it instantly. All right. Well, thank you. I mean, so now during our conversation, we might hear the words, you know, DeFi, blockchain, NFTs. At least we have a little bit of a foundation of what that means. So let's jump right into the, you know, the, the, the million dollar question, or maybe not dollar, the million dollar 
you know, crypto <laughs> or currency question, sure. right? What, what is crypto and, and how does it work? So in, in, in my estimation, I think that cryptocurrencies or crypto digital assets, they're software. Much like the blockchain, these are built on top of that, but they're different types of codes and they have different types of use cases and different types of programming. It's, it's, let, let's call it either digital assets or programmable money. That might be the best way to, to think about it right now. So the, the, what they are is they're ways to convey the three, the three uses of money, our store of value, method of exchange, and unit of accounting. And for all of us to agree that a dollar bill is equal to a dollar, its value comes from that collective agreement, period. That's it. It's just paper otherwise, and with ink in, on it. So when we think about it in that regard, what is backing the paper since we moved off the gold standard in the early 70s, it's just based on our faith and trust in the U.S. government. So if you... If your faith and trust in the U.S. government is waning a little bit because of the crazy fiscal policy and monetary policies of, you know, trillions of dollars in stimulus being pumped into the economy, trillions being pumped not just for, for individuals, but just to create liquidity within the markets, those might not necessarily be the most sustainable aspects of supporting the value of the dollar, let's say. I mean, we, we all know basic supply and demand. As the volume of something goes up, its value decreases. So the, the benefit of something like a cryptocurrency or digital asset, in the case of, let's say, Bitcoin in particular, there are tw only 21 million of those coins that can ever be, quote, mined. Remember, we talked before about how each of those nodes validate whether a transaction is legitimate or fake, those miners, quote unquote, they run those nodes and they earn Bitcoin based on the first one to solve that particular coding question. And the question, the other thing is the programming makes solving those questions tougher. So it's not easy, right? And, and the few of the coins that are out there, and the, right now there's 18 million of those 21 coins circulating. So long and short of it, it's a finite supply. That's where the valuation, quote, the store of value for Bitcoin is really shining. And that's why we're looking at north of $60,000 for one of those particular digital assets. So it's this collective value that we believe that these are going to go up because it's very much like gold and that it's scarce but it's better than gold because it's easily to divide, it's easy to transmit across the country, and it's easy to carry. And for all of those elements, it makes it a better inflation hedge and a better store of value in the eyes of many individuals than let's say gold, even though gold has been around for a bunch of years, thousands of years. So um, the thing about another type of crypto that we hear a lot about is Ethereum. That's the second most popular coin out there by market cap. Now, if we think of Bitcoin as digital gold, I think we want to think of Ethereum as digital oil. And when you consider like an app store, we also have on our phones, we have a bunch of apps there. That's very much like what Ethereum can do. Ethereum would be analogous to the app store. And then the applications that run on that Ethereum protocol 
enable a variety of different functions and use cases for anybody to use. Remember, this is all software. The blockchain is software. The cryptocurrencies are software. And what you're able to do with those different types of programs creates the value and the use case for people who decide to use them. So, and so they're ones and zeros, so they can be a digital photo. They can be, again, a valuation or, an, or, or a derivative of, of cash, or they can be a contract. So the, the thinking is that we just have to th take a little step back and reframe how we interact and our perceptions of money and say, okay, instead of putting my trust in a piece of paper in my wallet, there's a greater use case, greater security, and greater value potentially in the future of these digital software applications that have a can hold a better store of value, are better methods of exchange, and are better units of account. Is that helpful? So Tor, yeah, very helpful. And I've got a bunch of questions to dig deep into okay. that. But before we do that, I, I want to touch on something. So, you know, like the internet, you know, that's not going to stick around and it's never going to last, right? Is crypto just a fad? <laughs> no, crypto crypto is not a fad. There was a recent survey done earlier this year by Bank of America, and they researched and asked a lot of banking executives at dozens of significant large global institutions. 76% of those who responded to that survey said physical money is going away within the next five years. And when you look at the value of why we have physical money to begin with, I mean, there, there, if anything, I think physical money is going to be a fad because at the end of the day, the penetration of mobile devices is greater than 100% globally. And what's happening is that the cryptocurrencies and blockchain are going to be a way to get the 1.4 billion individuals who are unbanked right now to get them to a level of economic equality that they don't have. And not for nothing, I think banks and corporations see that completely untapped market of a quarter of the global population. They wanna get them online and get them into the economic system and into the economic channel. So I don't believe that it's going to be a fad. I believe that it's going to be the highway and the infrastructure that's going to enable this global economy. And, and Tor, to support that, can you talk about uh, what major retailers or major financial institutions right now that are already accepting crypto or in the crypto business? Exactly. You, you nailed it. So you look at PayPal, the most trusted payment service on the globe. If you look at any sort of J.D. Power ranking or any of these global brand rankings, PayPal is more trusted than Visa or MasterCard. And PayPal now gives you away, you the average consumer and the business owner, to buy four different types of cryptocurrencies. And I saw a story that broke today that they're now enabling businesses to be able to accept crypto payments when they subscribe for their, uh, for their, for their particular business service. So you just need to look at that part. Walmart, uh, I think like two weeks ago, they did an agreement with uh, Coinstar where you can actually purchase you go onto their physical store, go to the physical store, you put in cash, and you can get a uh, exchange that cash for crypto. And so 
I think that there's that instance. You look at AMC movie theaters. They've announced that they're going to be accepting um, Shiva Inu and Dogecoin and Bitcoin for payments of the different types of things, um, accoutrements and foods and drinks that you can get in the store. Uh, the NBA Mavericks, Mark Cuban, they accept Dogecoin at games for tickets and all those types of things. And, and just look at this week, Crypto.com, they took naming rights for the Staples Arena in LA. Uh, that's a 20 year deal. I think that these big- yeah, Wasn't that somewhere like $300 million or something? It was some, it was a lot of money, whatever. That, it might not have been done. It was, it was 700 million, the largest sports marketing license deal ever. And, and the other thing is that as these organizations start normalizing that type of behavior, people start to, uh, to, to accept it as well the retailers and uh, and consumers like us. So are they are they paying that 700 million in crypto or in dollars? <laughs> <laughs> I believe I believe the uh, the company uh, that owns it is accepting it in cash. But here's the thing. They are saying that what they may do is they may enable crypto payments on site at that facility for games, for merchandise, for for ticket sales and for parking and all of those types of things to again acclimate sure. and reduce the friction for cryptocurrency payments. So when, when we look at cryptocurrency, as we speak today, of five years ago, how many businesses were actually accepting that? How many are actually accepting it now? And, and five years from now, what's it going to look like? Yeah. So it's a great question. Uh, I, five years ago, there were, there were a handful of, um, of businesses, not, not many, but they were trying to be on the, on the cutting edge. And again, the, the main three coins that they accepted at the time were Bitcoin, Ethereum, and uh, and another product called Litecoin, another project called Litecoin. And so I would say that globally, there was probably a, maybe a, a few thousand five years ago that accepted that. But right now, um, I, ironically, I just checked today before we joined on, in, in North America, there are 8,000 different merchants that accept Bitcoin alone. And I think that as we proceed down that Python, and, you know, get swallowed and more people that bulge moves, I think that uh, over the next few years that it, it's easily going to exceed uh, more than 70% of uh, merchants will have that as a payment option. It's unlikely to be the only option, but I think that those businesses that are looking down the road, they don't want to exclude any sort of customer. If someone wants to come in and they prefer to pay with crypto, you want to be able to be able to, to handle that as opposed to letting them walk out the door to a competitor. Yeah, so competitive advantage. That's obviously one of the benefits of accepting a cryptocurrency. Are, are there any other benefits for, for uh, a company or a business or, or anyone providing services that they'd want to accept crypto? I think I think we talked on some of them. To your point, the, the competitive advantage is definitely one of them. I think that the other piece is that um, uh, fees are significantly less on, uh, on on cryptocurrency transactions. On the Ethereum platform right now, they do have fees that are high because what you're doing is you're competing for bandwidth and getting and to get your transaction approved um, quicker than the, than the next guy. But at the end of the day, what's happening is that's all migrating over to proof of stake. So those fees, they call them gas fees, gas fees, those gas fees are going to drop. So, but, but across all of these crypto networks, these blockchains, the fees are significantly lower than, um, than they would be 
on a traditional banking system. So case in point, a few, about a month ago, PayPal announced that you can send money, you can tip any of the people that are in your particular uh, following on, on Facebook, um, I'm sorry, on Twitter. And you can do it for free using the strike application that runs on the lightning link. So that's Bitcoin. So you could send money to anybody in the world for, for free instantly. That's going to completely disrupt the wire transfer business, which manages billions, if not trillions of those transactions globally. So, uh, so, so you have fewer costs. You also have quicker delays or fewer delays in transaction settlement times. You don't have to wait seven days or five days for a check to clear or any of that type of thing or to get the money in your account. It can be done virtually instantly. So you get speed, you get fewer costs. And the other thing is you don't have to deal with a loan officer or an intermediary taking their cut as well. So I think, I think the benefits truly are speed, reduced costs, and frictionless transactions where you don't have to have a go-between managing the transaction. Well, Tor, Tor, that leads right into my next question. So I'm glad you said that. So I'm a business owner. I'm out there. Uh, someone comes yep. in or they spend money or they go online and they spend money and uh, whether they're in the store, I could collect cash or they pay by credit card, goes into my bank account. So now we know there are many different types of cryptocurrencies out there. How does a business collect them and how are they processed? So basically what you need is it, it, the, the best place to start is you need a digital wallet of some kind. And that's where these particular digital assets would be stored. You could think of it as like a digital bank account. You know, a lot of business owners might be cash-based, but a lot of them don't deal with cash and everything is digital anyways, dealing directly with their bank, let's say. So this is just, again, that natural progression, that next step. So if you get a a wallet with, let's say you could start with MetaMask or even Coinbase. I think Coinbase is a great place to start. It's a name that everybody's heard of. It's publicly traded. Um, I use Coinbase on a regular basis because I like how simple it is. So you set up the wallet there, and then typically what you do is you connect it to your bank so that you still, we still use fiat currency and sovereign currency. We still use that. But the thing is, is you can then connect it with your bank, let's say, and then you can purchase whatever type of crypto is listed on Coinbase. So what you then do, what happens is, is they have these things called, there's a public key and a private key. So what you can do is you can transfer money using QR codes. I think QR codes are another type of ubiquitous type of technology that merchants are familiar with, those little kind of squares that you take a picture of it and it takes you exactly to a, a website. QR codes are a great tool to facilitate payment transactions directly into that account. So what happens is you give the public address for that account. You, if you want to get money from your, from your customer, let's say, they scan a code and then the funds are automatically transferred instantly. That's one way to do it. I think the other way which is good is um, that you can use one of these crypto-backed credit cards. So crypto.com has a good one. Coinbase has a good one. And those are just, I'm not, I'm not compensated by either of those companies. I don't have any arrangement for them. But at the same time, so what you can do is that you can also incur cryptocurrency rewards for using them. So that's an easy way to kind of 
step into this particular process if you're not sure. But but for a merchant, you, you need to set up some sort of a merchant account. Coinbase has a merchant account that allows for crypto payments. And as we said at the at the beginning of this call, payment uh, PayPal now has a way where you can accept crypto payments directly into your account um, that you may have already with uh, with that particular vendor. Is that helpful? Yeah, it is. So so now we're up and running. We're accepting crypto. We're 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 coming to to age and and saying, okay, great. Now I'm I'm <laughs> up to speed with technology and how everything's going on. So now the question is, you know. How safe is it? Is there things such as crypto fraud? I mean, people hack into people's bank accounts all the time. There's wire yeah. transactions that are hacked into and and take and, and people lose money. But crypto, how safe is that? And what protections are out there for, for that? In, in my opinion, I think that cryptocurrencies are much and blockchain are much safer than any other type of system that's out there right now. It's getting a bad rap. Everyone says, well, look at all the ransomware attacks. Hold on a second. Ransomware is not unique to crypto. It's been going on much longer than that. The vast amount of fraud that occurs in this country is done with fiat currency. Let's not kid ourselves. So that's where the real scams are coming. And so, and, and the greatest exposure to ransomware is because of email. It's, it's phishing attempts where, where an unsuspecting individual yields access to somebody. So it's much less likely for someone to hack your crypto accounts and, and 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 siphon it off because of the decentralized nature but at the same time you've got to be smart about that as well if you have your money stored on an exchange and an exchange would be like coinbase that's and they call it an exchange because it's like a stock exchange you connect it to your bank account and you're able to transact and purchase different types of assets based on whatever you'd like whether it's bitcoin dogecoin ethereum or whatever but the thing is, is that you're still on a central location. And if you're on any type of central location, whether it's a bank, whether it's the IRS, which got hacked, uh, they're susceptible. But again, it becomes trickier and tougher because like on Coinbase, one of the things that you need is this thing called uh, two-factor authentication. So to access your account, I have to do this every time. When I want to go in, it goes, it, it sends a special code to my, uh, to, to the authenticator app that I have, which is connected, but unrelated. It's from the Google Authenticator, or you can use any other one. And you have to enter that every time, and it changes every 45 seconds. Two-factor authentication makes it very difficult for anybody to hack your system, number one. And that's if you keep your, your, your assets, your digital assets, on what they would call, quote, a hot wallet, because it's connected to the internet. The other thing that you can do is you can move those assets, if you want, to a cold wallet. And the two that are best are Trezor, T-R-E-Z-O-R, or Ledger. That's the, uh, the the one that I use. I move my assets off onto a cold storage ledger that no one can hack. It's, it looks like a thumb drive, but it's much more sophisticated than that. So in, in short, those are the types of protections and safeguards that you have to apply. It's just like common sense, like anything else. If you want to avoid fraud, don't share, you know, use different types of uh, passwords for each account. Take those steps. Don't give access to your network to, to just anybody. Things like that. Use common sense tactics, and um, you're you're going to be miles ahead. Yeah, it's just the the fear factor, right? People are afraid of what they sure. don't know okay. and what they don't understand, yeah. and that's why we're doing this show to bring more, you know, to bring an understanding, a more awareness of what's going on. Because it's not, as you mentioned, it's not going away, and we're going to see more and more of it. So. 
besides right. business owners, we have we have business brokers and business intermediaries that listen to the show, and they're members mm. of the International Business Brokers Association, the M and A Source, uh, and 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 they they're listening today. So business brokers or business intermediaries, they sell businesses and they get paid commission, but they also uh, get paid for valuations, market analysis, consulting. So they consider accepting some type of cryptocurrency for payments for these services and, and dare I say, maybe even a commission on the sale of a business? I think they need to. I, I think that those intermediaries, in my opinion, are at risk because what's going to happen, what, ultimately what's going to happen is you'll be able to sell a house online via the blockchain without having to have a title search, without having to have uh, a, a lawyer look at the deed or, or any of those types of things. It will all be on the blockchain. It will all be immutable and everybody can see it. It, it, but it's still pseudonymized, so you don't necessarily know all the details, but the people involved in the contract, they will see and understand exactly where what is. But I, I think that those intermediaries that deal with some of those types of agreements could be at risk down the road. So I think adopting and exploring and understanding blockchain can help future-proof your business uh, against the future that's coming. And if you could uh, offer those particular types of businesses, some sort of, let's say, blockchain validated type approach, that could be a differentiator. And I think that that's where everything is going. And it would help you stay ahead of the curve as we continue down this trajectory of instant authorizations and approvals online, independent of in intermediaries and go-betweens. That's the reality. Excellent. Well, one of the things that I that I read in your article that stuck to me, you stated that Small business adoption of cryptocurrency becoming less of a competitive advantage and more about competitive survival. Are businesses mm -hmm. that refuse um, to acknowledge crypto, are they losing market share? Or are they at risk at losing market share? Yes. I, I think uh, categorically, if someone is refusing to accept or even consider crypto because they think it's fake or it's a fad or it's a joke, at the end of the day, look at th there was a similar type of adoption with credit cards in the 70s. People thought, oh, this, it's not real money, it's not, uh, it's not valid, but look now. Transactions, the speed of business, the globalization of business is requiring these types of services in real time and instant settlement to make sure that the velocity of money needs to be where it needs to be. And, and there's, a, there's a global world out there. This is the other thing. Businesses, even small businesses, need to think globally now. They're, if, if they're just serving their neighborhood or their town, they're excluding a much wider market where there could be potential. And that could help them if there's like a, a regional economic downturn, let's say. So anyone who's ignoring it or refusing to adopt it or even consider it, you're cutting off your nose to spite your business face. And you want to make sure that you give your customers the optimal ability to engage with your businesses and services and to remove those barriers, whether those barriers are geography, time zones, or currency types. You know, those of you that are listening, I mean, you might not understand it. You might not like it. You might not believe it, but it doesn't make it true. You know, the facts are <laughs> it's ever expanding. It's ever changing, and and we we've got to get with the times, and 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 that's why people you know like Tor come out here, and he writes articles, and he talks, and he educates people on what's going on. So 
one of the things that a lot of people uh, ask, and 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 I did in doing my research before our before our interview here, you know, how are cryptocurrency transactions tracked, and, and what are the tax ramifications, if any? The tax ramification—that's a great question. So they're all tracked on the blockchain. Every transaction that has ever been conducted on Bitcoin since it started in 2009 is right there. You just go to BitcoinScan.io. You can go and you can look and you can see all of these transactions. There's a bunch of numbers and there aren't names on it, but you can see the blockchain. You can see the amount. You can see the wallet that it went to. All of that information is there. And for instance, right now, the IRS wants its pound of flesh. And so they've contracted with a company called Chain Analysis that's going to go back and do forensic. It's going to help the IRS build a mechanism to go in and track those um, transactions and make sure that that when it, there's a disposition of the asset that you pay for it. Because right now in the U.S., cryptocurrencies are regulated as property. So they're susceptible to short-term gains or long-term gains, depending on how long you have it and what your reporting is and you know whether you file as a married or as a single, all that type of thing. So in my opinion, the best thing to do, and this is what I did last year, is I signed up with, uh, they have vendors which provide a service that are available for an individual as well as for a business that you link to your wallet and it tracks everything. Because that's the thing, every, every transaction has to be recorded and then they are able to assess what your base cost was and what your profit was on each transaction. And so that made it headache free. And so I was able to file my 2020 tax return with my, with my crypto transactions. And I was able to go back three years and provide that as a, as my amended return for those years. So I felt really, I had peace of mind because I was really concerned about that very question exactly about, I didn't want to get stung by, um, by the tax man for noncompliance. Um, in addition to that, the infrastructure bill that just passed now in, uh, in the U.S. and was signed into law, there are a couple of provisions in there that would make it very difficult for individuals who might be, and, and small businesses, for instance, who are specifically crypto-focused, that they would have to report transactions. If they receive a transaction for $10,000, they would have to report a raft of information about the sender, which they might not have. And if they are not able to send that information within 15 days, then they would be in violation of federal tax code and commit a felony. So what's, what's trying to happen right now is that there are people in Congress, in, in both the House of Representatives and the Senate, who are, who are knowledgeable, and they're trying to change that language. So again, I, I, I don't think that there's a reason to fear. I think that there are enough ways to, to, to manage and meet those tax obligations. Regulation is coming within this space, but still, I don't think that that's a reason to wait and delay and not learn as much as you can. If you're looking for a specific reference for a tax tool that is very, very efficient, again, I'm not compensated by these guys, but um, it's TaxBit. And that's the service that I used to complete my taxes, and they also have a a service for, um, for, for businesses and for enterprises, and I've been very pleased with that. Yeah, I, I just find this conversation fascinating. I mean, we could probably do five episodes on this, but we have the little <laughs> bit of time that we have today. I want to be respectful of it. Just a couple of more questions for you. So we, we've heard that, you know, cryptocurrency, are they currencies or are they investments? And, and, and what are the implications or distinctions 
on crypto businesses? That's the million dollar question, right? That's that's exactly what right now is uh, is happening with the between the Securities and Exchange Commission and a company called Ripple. Uh, the Securities Exchange Commission is has asserted that Ripple sold its token XRP as an unregistered security and accrued, you know, 1.3 billion illegally in gains because it was uh, an illegal security. So, but but um, at the end of the day, that all is being uh, kind of ironed out and it's going to be hammered out with, um, it, well, I, I think what's going to happen is Ripple's going to settle. They're going to have a lot of redacted content, and I think that they're going to be clear, but what's going to happen is the groundwork is going to be laid as far as what it looks like going forward, to your point, whether it's a whether whether it's an investment or whether it's uh, just a a, um, a type of money or, or a method of exchange. So I, I think what's going to happen is there there are two bits of legislation that are currently circulating in the House right now and one in the Senate, and they're trying to redefine, create a separate class for cryptocurrencies. I think they called it a what is it a uh, a contract asset or something something like that, but that would classify it separate from securities and put it under the uh, the guidance of another agency separate from the Securities Exchange Commission. I think they want to bring it under the futures commodities trading uh, agency. So uh, I, I think that that's what's ultimately going to happen is they're, they're going to figure out what these things are and regulation is coming. So I think that those questions still have to be hammered out. All right. Well, I have so many more questions to ask you, but unfortunately, we're we're out of time. So I have one more that I'd like to to ask you before we go on. So before we end the show, what would your advice be, or what would you recommend to our listeners who are interested in accept, accepting cryptocurrencies, but they just need guidance? They don't know how. They don't even know where to start. What would you say to sure. them? Sure. So first off, one thing that I want everybody to know is that the great thing about these these currencies is you don't have to buy a full token. You can buy fractional amounts. So you don't need $60,000 to get started with Bitcoin. They're, they're, uh, they're broken down into fractional amounts. Each, each Bitcoin has a hundred million micro pieces called Satoshis. And they do that because the guy who created Bitcoin was named uh, uh, Satoshi Nakamoto. He was this anonymous individual who wrote the nine page white paper. So anyways, so I think that that's a foundational point is that you don't have to spend a lot to get started in crypto. Start small, start simple. Go to Coinbase, look around the website, and, and familiarize yourself with it. They'll set up a wallet there on that page. You'll start at the desktop. They'll set up your, um, they call it know your customer. You have to answer questions about where you live to validate who you are. And then you link it to your phone to make sure that those steps or security steps are taken. And then buy a little. You don't have to buy a ton, just a little. Start small until you become familiar with it. And then start exploring their, their platform for small businesses. Learn that, acclimate, get yourself aware of what's taking place here. And then what you can do then is you become more experienced and more knowledgeable, knowledgeable about this. You can branch out into other types of, of money making types of opportunities like staking. So staking, what is that? What that is, is that say you develop a pool or accumulate a pool of a particular asset on a particular type of wallet. While that money is just sitting there, what you can do, it's like an interest-bearing account. You can stake it into a liquidity pool 
like a CD, a certificate of deposit, if you remember those old days. You stake it in there, and while it's in that pool and being lent around, you're earning a higher rate of interest. Some generate double digits. Some, if they're highly sought after types of currencies, up to triple digits, believe it or not. But let's just steer clear of those right now. Let's just stick with walking before we're running here. So, but once you become acclimated, I think that that's the natural progression. And, and educate yourself because, again, out there, it's, uh, no one's going to do it for you. Well, we've been talking. I've been talking today with Tor Constantino. Um, Tor, I, I can't thank you enough, and I can't show my gratitude or appreciation enough, but thank you so much for taking time today to educate all of us on cryptocurrency and everything that's going on in the world of finance right now revolving around that. I, mean, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you about it and, and, and listening to what you had to say and, and reading your articles and the research I did prior to uh, talking with you today. So how can someone that's out there that enjoyed this also follow you and keep up with you and your articles and your writings? I, I appreciate that. First, let me just finish with one point. Buyer beware. Just be sure. aware of what you're doing. Be smart. Um, the same types of practices and safety protocols that you have for your email and for your business to protect all of those things in your bank account, you have to follow those same steps with crypto. But regarding um, where they can find my writings, if you just Google Tor Constantino, um, you're, you're going to find where I write. I write for Motley Fool. I write for Fortune. I write for Inc.com. I write for Entrepreneur. And I write for Daily Coin. Those are where the bulk of my crypto blockchain related types of content are. Well, perfect. Thank you again so much. And I hope to have you on the show again someday so we can continue this conversation. But uh, again, thank you so much, Tor. Chris, it was a, a pleasure and delight. Thank you so much for having me. I do appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. It, it was my pleasure. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. What a show. If you didn't enjoy this show, I, then I, you probably shouldn't listen anymore. I mean, this was absolutely amazing. There's so much information to digest, so much more to learn. So I hope, I hope, I hope you found this to be informative. You know, do your research. Be cautious, as Tor said. Don't get left behind, but you also don't want to give it all away. The world's continually changing, and the economic world is changing at lightning speed. As we learned today, there are alternative ways to get paid. There are alternative ways to buy things. It's not going away as becoming more and more prevalent as time goes on. Uh, if you like our show, please share it with others on your social media platforms. It's easy to subscribe to. You go to ibba.org slash insights. Once you're there, you can subscribe with a click of a button using your Apple or Android device or by email. So on behalf of the IBBA, I'm Chris Diglio. I'm the host of this show. I want to thank the IBBA and our podcast team, Neil Isaacs, Kate Reiner, Kate Strader. Uh, I want to thank all of you for listening to this episode of IBBA Insights, and I invite you to listen to all of our upcoming shows. Until we talk again, may your life be filled with love, laughter, good health, and prosperity. Have a blessed day. Thank you for listening.